0: I think I'm good. How's everyone going? Alright? Can you be quiet? Everyone say, yay! 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 Alright, there we go. Alright, so we are up to week four in a five-week series I've titled, Losing My Religion. Exploring uh, some factors why people may choose to walk away from faith, from church, from Christianity. And I'd expect all of you may know someone like that. You may know someone who, uh, who when you grew up with, you went to Sunday school with or uni with or, or church with and they were passionate for God or passionate for serving God but now for them God's probably the last thing on their mind. They? And they, they don't even want to talk about their, their previous life. They, they were once passionate followers but now if they were asked they'd probably tick the no religion box that comes out in the census every number, every five years. And so the premise for the series, and we're almost at the end, is that some people may lose their religion because they had an expectation of God, a view of God, something that, a postcard image of God, that they had an expectation of something which they were hoping for or expecting. But much like a postcard, when they got there, the experience may have looked something like that. And who's Mum mum's from Blue Mountains, how often does that happen? Very often. Very often. Uh, and so, what we discover is that people are told this is what God is like. This is what Christianity is like. You know, you've got this mansion in the sky when you die. You've got everything goes well for you. You know, you get everything is. You get the best grades. You get the best-looking husband or wife and kids. And you get this whole package that if I sign up for Christianity, my life is made. And uh, but then stuff of life happens, and uh, and it can look like this for many people. And so. Typically, they feel that they've been sold a lie. That this whole Christianity thing, it's a dud. What they told me, it was a waste of time. And so, at that time, they choose to, or they're disappointed, they're disillusioned, and perhaps even they walk away from their faith. The, The book that I've been using as a bit of an anchor for this series is called With by Sky Jathani, and we finally got our copies. There's about four or five of these at the help desk if you'd like to purchase one. I think they're about $25, $26. See Julie, she'll happily organize that for you they are at the back. Um, And so the author, Sky Jathani, he identifies four different postures or different approaches or different views that we can have of God. And um, each one of them, and we'll talk about them, or each one of them miss the fullness of what God or how God wants to relate to us. Now most religious traditions teach us that we can use God to achieve our own ends. This is the whole, the, the whole concept of these four postures. is trying to understand how can we get God to do what we want? How can we live the life that we want or, or experience the life that we think God wants us to have? And So they approach the God in four different ways. The first one is very common. It's by obeying commands. This is the life under God. By obeying commands, we are taught that God will bless us and be on our side. If we if we do enough sacrifices, if we do enough rituals, if we obey enough rules, we can appease God. God won't be angry with us if we can just you know just just do stuff to make him feel better. And then maybe if we can do more stuff and obey more stuff and give more stuff and and pray harder and read more, and uh, if we can do all that, then maybe God will be kinder to me and maybe he'll want to favour me or bless me. So that's the life under God posture and that is uh, throughout the world. You see that particularly in the religions that are, uh, uh, that are still offering sacrifices. And you know, you're going to go to India or you go to um, South America or Africa or whatever. You'll find people still sacrificing to their little idols, thinking that that idol can do something to make their life better. Life under God. We've also talked about life over God. It tells us if we follow the right principles in life, if we, if we just follow the good book and do what the good book says, we're pretty much guaranteed for a good life. It's like God is a watchmaker. He designed the world. He designed the universe with all the, with all the laws, with all the laws of physics and mathematics and science. He designed the world to operate and he wound it up like a watch and then he set it off and then God sits back and, and just watches what's going on. Not really interested in, in the actual operation any longer. And so... Um, so God is viewed as that watchmaker and if we can just tap into the laws and the principles that God puts in place, not just the physical laws of science and of maths and all that type of stuff, but if we can get good moral laws, God's given us moral laws to be good, be nice to our neighbours, pay our taxes, if we can live good lives, surely we, the, the, surely we can be blessed because we've got all the principles in place. We don't, we don't really need a watchmaker, we don't really need to know the watchmaker because we've aligned ourselves with this machine that we know how it's working and we can figure our lives out that way. That's a life over God. Last week we introduced the life from God posture and that rightly teaches us that God is our provider. But that's all it sees God as. The Bible makes it very clear that God does provide and Jesus has encouraged us as invites us to go to God and ask Him for what we need. But this posture of, of life from God views God as, as the source, like, a bit like a, I've got to finish that sentence, the source, not tomato sauce. Actually, while I think of it, we, our Belmont College just had their production this week, and I think it was Silas, and he did a great job as Tommy's sauce in Alibaba. Well done. And a couple of other kids were involved. Phoebe was involved. A bunch of others were involved. Uh, and so well done to you guys. It's all over now. Parents can breathe. Um, what I'm saying, We view God as the source of all good things, and uh, we, we treat him like a vending machine. If we can just put our, uh, expect God to bring us what we want, uh, he'll do our bidding, a bit like a divine butler, and he'll give us what we desire. And so last week we introduced the, the story of the prodigal son, and I know if you've been in church any length of time, you've likely come across the story of the prodigal son. Uh, there's three main characters in the story the, the father, the younger son, and the older son. And so we're going to watch a short video by the author of this book, which will sort of be a bridge from last week's message talking about the younger son and the life from God posture. And then we're going to transition that to talk about the older son
1: and the life for God posture. Thanks, team. It sounds like the story of a soap opera. The younger son of a millionaire feels like his father's estate is interrupting his lifestyle. So he decides he's going to leave home and live wild and free. But he needs his father's fortune to bankroll his lifestyle. So he goes to his father, demands his part of his inheritance, and then tells his dad to drop dead and heads off to live in a distant country. Jesus told this story to a group of dinner guests about 2,000 years ago. It's recorded in Luke chapter 15. It's the story of a man with two sons. And each of his sons represents a different way of relating to God. The younger son, the one who wanted his inheritance early and who left his father's home, represents life from God. Let me illustrate it to you this way. The younger son wasn't interested in having a relationship with his father. All he cared about was what he could get from his father. In this case, the father's wealth. In a word, we would say that this younger son was a jerk. A great many people relate to God in a similar way. They're not interested in a relationship with God. They're more focused on what they can get from God. Now, this isn't entirely bad or wrong. Jesus does tell us that we are to expect things from God. He is our provider, and we should ask Him for what we need. But the problem with life from God is this is all it sees Him as. All it views God as is the one who gives us what we need, want, or desire. And this is all predicated on a certain view of the universe. Imagine this apple represents the universe. Life from God says that if you were to cut open the cosmos past all the layers of time and matter, at its core, what you would find is yourself. This view says that you, with your desires, are the center of the universe. This message is really appealing to people today because our consumer culture sends the very same message. Consumerism says that the consumer, with his unmet desires, that would be you, are the center of everything. And everything and everyone's value is determined by how well they satisfy your desires. Is a spouse valuable? Well, as long as she meets my desires. When she stops, I'm justified in trading her in for a new one, just like a car, or a shirt, or a new computer. The same thing is true for God. He has no inherent value except what He can do for me. And if one religion isn't working out, well, I might as well try another. A lot of popular Christianity is built on this same premise. We tell people, if you just come to Jesus, he'll fix your problems. He'll make your marriage better. He'll get you that job you want. A friend of mine likes to say that we treat Jesus like he's the duct tape WD-40 combo pack. All you need to fix just about anything. But this isn't really Christianity because it isn't about a relationship with God. It's more interested in what we can get from God rather than a life with him. Like I said, it's not Christianity. This is Christian consumerism. So then what's the solution? Unfortunately, the solution provided by most faith communities is just as flawed as the problem. In the story that Jesus told about the man with two sons, it wasn't just the younger son who was a jerk. As it turns out, the man's older son was just as lost as his younger brother. In the story, the older son was the good one. He always served his father. In fact, he makes a big deal about how he has never disobeyed any of his father's commands. Rather than just taking from his father, like the younger son, The older son lived for his father. This is what many faith communities advocate in response to Christian consumerism. Rather than seeking to live life from God, we should instead seek to live our lives for God. Remember that cosmic apple I drew earlier? Life from God said that you are the center of the universe. Life for God recognizes that this is wrong. Instead, the life for God posture says that the center of the universe is mission, God's mission. And life is all about participating in it. It's all about doing good things for God and his kingdom. So rather than making us into Christian consumers, the life for God wants to make us into Christian activists. And rather than judging everything and everyone in relation to me, now everything is judged in relation to the mission. A person is either on mission, supporting mission, hindering mission, the object of the mission, or a lazy Christian who should be on the mission. Mission becomes everything. So what could possibly be wrong with this? We are called to live our lives for God, right? Well, the problem is, just like in the previous posture, when it becomes the entirety of how we view our relationship to God. The person who's living for God may be just as lost and in no better position than the person living selfishly from God. Whether we're living from God or for God, the focus of our faith is upon what we're getting or what we're giving, but it's not actually on God himself. In a different way, the older son in Jesus' story was just as lost as his younger brother. He wasn't focused on what he could get from his father, but he was entirely focused on what he could do for his father, and he was fixated on the kind of reward he would get for his obedience. At the end of Jesus' parable, we find something remarkable. The father finally speaks to his older son and reveals to him what's really most important. The father says, All these years you have been with me, and all I have is yours. But this brother of yours was lost and is found again, was dead and is now alive. What mattered most to the father was not the younger son's disobedience or the older son's service. What mattered most to him was their presence. He wanted to be with them. And the same is true of our Heavenly Father. This is what both life from God and for God fail to grasp. That what matters most is not our disobedience or our service, but our presence, our life with God.
0: Alright, so that may explain it a bit better or it might have complicated it more for you today. But this morning I want to dig around God's Word and see what's happening in the story that Jesus told. And more importantly, see what happens in us as we think about what was happening for them back then. So the passage we're looking at is Luke chapter 15. uh, And we're going to start halfway through the story. Last week we talked the the front end about the prodigal son who, who left and uh, ended up in the pigsty and came back to his dad. And so verse 25, Luke fifteen, twenty-five. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing inside the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older bro- brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years, I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. Okay, so let's have a bit of a dig around what's actually going on in this space. Now, the youngest son we've talked about had the posture of living life from the father, wanting his money, wanting everything that the father could give to him. And we discovered in that video that the older son was living for his father. He did all the right things. He didn't embarrass his father. <coughs> he worked hard. He, uh, he put in the right amount of hours. He, he sacrificed his time. He had the family business running well. He stayed out of trouble. And he was doing all he could to keep his father happy. But for all his efforts doing stuff for his dad, it would seem, when I read this passage, it would seem that he didn't actually have much of a relationship with his dad. Now, look, let's think about this. Who was Jesus talking to? Well, let's look at the context of the story that Jesus told. If we go back to Luke, uh, verse 1, we'll find out who Jesus was actually talking to. It says that tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to Jesus to hear, listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. He told them who's the them. Pharisees. That's right. It's, so he's not telling the story to those who have, you know, lived a life and and, and, and mucked up and come back. He's telling the story to the religious leaders. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders. In fact, Jesus tells three stories in the Gospel of Luke. There's the story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and the story of the lost son. And they're all addressed to the Pharisees who are sitting around the table. Now, I used to think that the main character in this story was the prodigal son. I mean, in my Bible it says the story of the prodigal son. The, the, the interpreters, the, the people who created our English Bibles, says this is all about the prodigal son. And I tell you what, he's a very important character. I mean, uh, the, we, we sung the song Amazing Grace, you know, the line, I once was lost, but now I'm found. That comes from where? From this story. And so the story of the prodigal son is so important. It shows us the heart of God to a lost and broken and messed up humanity. It's a, it's a wonderful story about the prodigal son. But the character I believe that Jesus was trying to highlight to the crowd was the story of the older brother. That was the audience that he was trying to talk to. Because the, the religious people, they had difficulty, they had trouble when, uh, when Jesus hung out with the down and outers. When Jesus hung out with the lost and broken and messed up uh, people, these religious people had an issue with that. And so. These religious leaders, they were like the older brother, they were trying to do all the right religious things. They were pedantic in their rule keeping. They were doing all they could to make sure that the temple and the sacrifices and the systems and all the all, everything was running well in the, in the in their religious structures. They were doing all this stuff for God. These religious leaders, they were giving their lives to obey and do, certainly living life from God, under God. But they were also doing it all for God. But the very fact that they had no compassion on the broken and lost, it shows me that they didn't have a relationship with God. Because if they had a relationship with God, they wouldn't be complaining that Jesus spent all his time with the tax collectors and the sinners and the outcasts. And so we could easily uh, fall into the trap Of thinking of all that we're doing for God. We can get so caught up in trying to do things for God that we aren't really, and this is the point of this whole um, message, we can get so caught up in doing stuff for God and we actually miss the whole point of being with Him, experiencing life with Him, and like the older brother, allowing that relationship with Him to transform the way we think and live. And so the mission becomes more important than the master. Doing stuff for Jesus becomes more important than doing stuff with Jesus. Another passage you might be familiar with in Luke chapter 10. Uh, that might help you understand this better. At Luke 10, 38. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset about all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away. From her. The fact is, our first calling isn't to do things for God. You don't become a Christian, okay, now I'm going to go become a missionary, I'm going to give all my money away, I'm going to go to India or Africa or, or the streets of Windale or, or Jesmond or wherever you, you go. That's not your first call when you become a Christian. Our first calling is to be with Jesus. However, we continually tempted, and the church can quite easily make it seem like you're called cool to do stuff. You know, we, we can get so caught up serving even in the church that we have little time for the Lord himself. And I've seen this at play over so many years in church life. Maybe you've seen it too. People actively doing things for God. Good stuff. Church stuff. Serving on, on boards and leadership teams and, and cleaning and, and, and working and helping and, and doing all those things, running programs. And even pastors and leaders can be, we can get so caught up in doing stuff. I want to do it for God. God will be pleased with me. The more I do, the more I accomplish. If I can give my life and, and do so much for God, if I can go overseas and become a missionary, surely God will notice me. Surely God will love me more because I'm doing all this stuff for Him. And all that time, we miss the opportunity to be with Him. And if we're not careful, this posture of living life for God, it affects how we view two things. It can affect how we view God, and it can affect how we view other people. So if we can have the wrong attitude about God. We can get angry or upset or disappointed then. When God doesn't see us, Lord, I've done everything, I've I've given it all away, I've I've got nothing left in my bank account, I've I've got no time, I've been serving, I'm on every board, every roster, surely God, you must notice me, and you don't. And so, we can get disappointed when God doesn't see us, help us, or notice notice us. And we see this in both the older son and in Martha. The older son got angry because the father didn't throw a party for him. After all the stuff I've done for you, I've, I've obeyed everything you've asked me to do. I've, I've been here, I've worked the land, even when the other son ran. I did it all, God. And you didn't even care to throw me a party. You can see his anger at God, a wrong attitude toward God. Martha got upset because Jesus didn't seem to care about all the stuff. she was. Jesus, I'm cooking a roast for you. I've swept the house, I've peeled the potatoes, I've marinated the lamb, I've done it all. And don't you notice me? In fact, you can see Martha getting ticked off at Jesus. Lord, come on! Help! Deal with Mary. And so we can act like God owes us something for what we have done. But the reality is, friends, God owes us nothing. There's nothing we can do for Him that will make him love us more or notice us, notice us more and accept us more. There's nothing we can do that's, that's going to get God's attention and go, Wow, yeah, I'm pretty impressed by you. Have some extra blessing. There's nothing that we can do. So we can have a wrong attitude toward God and we can have a wrong attitude toward people. And again, we see this in both stories. We can see both the oldest son and Martha started to resent other people. We start comparing everyone else with what we're doing. Well, I've been working and your other son's been running off living life for himself. We can, we can look at how much they give. Well, well, you know what? I've been given my whole life. I, mean, I grew up in church when you sort of crem twice, twice a day, in the morning and night. Remember those remember those days? And then you sort of, well, you guys just go in the morning. You can't be that spiritual. We go twice a day. Some, some of you might have gone to church three times a day. Anyone go three times a day? Libby, you're so, you're so good. <laughs> about that? It's, and so we can, we can, we can think, God, we're doing all this stuff. We're going to church. We're, 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 but the other people, well, they're just coming. In fact, they're not even coming at all. They're coming once every second week. And it's very easy for us to start judging people by, by our expectation on what they, how much they give, how much they serve, how much they get involved. Or how little they give, how little they serve. Or how little they get involved. And this is a symptom of living life for God. Now, if you notice, Jesus didn't praise the older brother brother, for his bad attitude. And he certainly didn't praise Martha for her attitude. Rather, Jesus would point out that there is a better posture. There is a better way to look at it. And he would say, he said to the son, Son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time. You're with me all the time. You're with me all the time and everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time and we had to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead and he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. The father was focusing on what's important to him. The fact that, that, and the, fact that the older son was important, it's important to me that you're with me all the time. And the Lord wants us to also understand, each one of us, what's more important than what you do, or how much you give, or how much you read, or how much you do any of this stuff for God. He is more interested that you would have a posture that says, you know what, I just want to be with you. I just want to know you. Jesus responded to Martha and said, the Master said, Martha, dear Martha, you're fussing too much and getting yourself worked up over nothing. One thing is only essential, and Mary has chosen it. It's the main course, and it won't be taken from her. Mary chose. Mary could have helped out, but she chose to sit with Jesus instead of doing stuff for Jesus. Being with him is better than doing stuff for him. Now I need to extend that. It doesn't. We all. It doesn't mean we just need to do nothing. I think we, we should, our response to Jesus is to serve and to love and get involved and give and those things come from our heart of we do this not, not to impress you, or please we do this because we want to, because we want you with us in those things and that's the better posture and I think that's the invitation for us today, that what would you consider your posture toward God? Where do you find yourself in this story? We're gonna wrap up, we're doing trying to finish a bit early. Father's Day, get home, get dinner organized, lunch. But where do you find yourself in the story today? Maybe you find yourself in the posture of the younger son. Living life only wanting to receive from the Father. Living your Christian life expecting God to do your bidding to be a thing. Jathani would talk about being a, a cosmic therapist or a divine butler, that Jesus is there for you whenever I need him, he can give. Yes, and he is there for you. I'm not questioning all that we have access to in Jesus. But when we view him as purely what we can get from him, that was the younger son. Maybe you find yourself in that place, only wanting to receive from the Father. Or maybe this morning you find yourself as the older son. Maybe thinking, you know, I, I want to give, yes, I want to give my life for the Father, but thinking that impresses him, and then, and then we get ticked off when he's not impressed and, and things aren't going the way we want, and other people are doing things that we can't do. What is your posture toward the Father? Because both postures aren't incorrect, I mean, we do live from God, we receive from God, and we live for God, but we miss the very purpose of the Father. Both the older son, both the younger son, they missed relationship with the father and that's what this story is about. This morning we're going to, we're going to close with a song and it's going to come up in just a moment. I want to encourage you just to, to settle your hearts and I want you to think about who you are, what posture you have. Because in this song there's an invitation from the father to you, an invitation from heaven to you today. And the question I want you to ponder as the song is uh, on the screen is what is your relationship with him like? What will you do with the invitation that the father who accepts both the younger and the older, what will you do with the invitation that comes from the father? Thanks, Tim. <gasps> You may not think I'm the younger guy, and I haven't, you know, I'm not the pink style, I haven't wasted my life and my money and on, on all sorts of stuff. Or you may, And you may not think you're the good guy, you, you, you know, you're, you're just trying to get by. You, but maybe you're somewhere in between. And my challenge for all of us is, wherever you find yourself, the goal is the Father. He, he welcomes you. He invites you. He calls you. He wants to celebrate if you were lost. He wants to celebrate if you were found. He wants to to celebrate whether you've you've done bad or whether you've done it to Him. It doesn't matter. He just wants you. That's why He sent His Son Jesus. That's the whole whole point of this whole series of dealing with with. This is the goal. This is the purpose. This is the destination. That invitation is for every single one of us, regardless of the spectrum, regardless of where you find yourself this morning. So I'm going to ask us all to stand, and then I'm going to pray. <coughs> you know, it's all a matter of our heart. We talk about this so much as a church. The Bible tells us to guard our heart. The heart is everything we are. It's our emotions, it's, it's our being, it's our identity. And maybe this morning you're here and and as i a shared or as a song was played or somewhere, you, you, you understand, actually my heart does need a, need a surgeon. Maybe you hear it and think, my heart is broken. My heart is hurting. My heart is sad. My heart is, I, I want to be with God, but my heart, I just felt I've just done so much. I, maybe you're here this morning and your heart needs a surgeon. Maybe you're here this morning and your soul needs a friend. You're feeling incredibly lonely. Even in the midst of a crowd or in the midst of a service, in the midst of a loving family, you can still feel incredibly lonely. Can I encourage you? The place to find healing and to find strength and hope and love and acceptance comes from the Father. You can run to Him this morning. You can fall into His grace and receive all that He has for you. So, Father God, we come before you this Father's Day and we thank you that you are our Dad. I thank you that you long for us to be with you. That's, that's what, what gift do you want on Father's Day? You don't care so much for chocolates or stuff or us doing more or saying more. You just want us to be with you. And so, Lord, this morning we want to just change our posture, perhaps. To position ourselves to be with you. And, and receive your grace. And to receive your love. To receive your forgiveness. To receive... the the truth that you want to celebrate us and enjoy us and allow us to enjoy you. So Lord, I pray for us this morning, for those that might be here this morning that their heart may need a surgeon or their soul may be broken and hurting and needs a friend. Lord, I pray that they would see that comes from you and that they would receive their healing and their strength from you. And Lord, I pray that as we celebrate this day, I pray that we just look to you just before we close, you know, it might be a, let's all just lay our hands on our heart, yeah. and let's think that you're adjusting your posture. Maybe tweak it a bit, change it a bit. Lord, I pray for every single one of us. Lord, I pray that our posture towards you won't be under you or from you or for you, Lord. That our posture, Lord, we just want you. However that looks in this crazy, busy world we live in, Lord, help us to find ways to experience You in the day to day, in the good and in the bad. Lord, help us to discover that You are with us and that You'll never leave us. And Lord, I pray You help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We
2: give a close.